Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hi, everyone. Hi, so good to be with you this morning. I've been excited about this series on Joseph, this character study, so to speak. And I think it's good for us to remember that this isn't just a great story. It's not just a good story. That these things really happened. They really took place. So the events we're looking at, all the people in the story, Joseph, everything that happened to him, it's all real all real. Now, I know we really probably don't have a fancy coat like Joseph did, but I think we can still relate to him in a lot of ways because he's just a guy. He's just a person, just like you, just like me. And, you know, last weekend we were looking at how Joseph's family, they were constantly just dealing with a lot of dysfunction, They weren't a perfect family, and we can relate to that because none of us live in a perfect family, and today is going to be no different. We're going to see things that Joseph goes through, that that we go through similar things because we're going to see him experience some really high highs, and we're going to see him be in the low of the lows, and we're going to see things be just totally out of his control. We're going to see him face a lot of temptation. And these are all things that come our way too. But we're going to see his resilience. And his resilience is a kingdom of God kind of resilience. The kingdom of God. So let's pray and then we'll just read this next chapter in the story. So Holy Spirit, we just say you are so welcome here. We say we need your presence. I just ask you to fill our minds, fill our hearts. We just want to be soft to you and what you're doing, what you're all about. We just love you, Spirit. Amen. So we talked last week about how Joseph's brothers, they hated him so much that when a group of travelers came through, they sold him. They sold him, and then they told their dad, well, we're sorry, Dad, but Joseph is dead now. And that's where we're going to pick up in the story. We're going to start in chapter 39 in the first verse. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. 
The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So we start out here seeing that things are not going very well for Joseph. Things are uncertain. And we're going to read that they end up getting better. Things start looking up. But let's just sit for a minute in that hard in-between time that he went through. So he's now a slave. He's been sold not once but twice. And he's in this new strange country of Egypt, a place where he doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the culture, and he's now owned by this guy named Potiphar. And so we learn that Potiphar reported only to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Potiphar, he's way up there, and we're told that he's the captain of the military guard, which some scholars say might have been kind of like our secret service today. And Potiphar is also probably in control of the prisons. One of his roles was probably to be in charge of executions. So he's this military man who's at the top, and I would imagine he probably wasn't a real softy of a man, but that's all Joseph is used to. He's used to the soft. He's used to the cushy because he was this favored son who was kind of just able to do whatever he wanted while his brothers did most of the work. And now he's getting told what to do by this military guy. I mean, what a shock. Talk about having your life turned upside down. And Joseph is out of having any control. And that's where we get to our first point. When things are out of control, when things are out of your control. Now, if you had asked that 17-year-old Joseph, who is wearing his coat of many colors and kind of able to do whatever he wanted to do, if you had asked him, well, do you think one day you'd live in Egypt? And how about this? Do you think one day you'd end up being a slave? I think he would probably respond with something like, well, no, never in a million years. I mean, how could that happen to me? And he might even ask, well, what's Egypt? I've never even heard of that place because it was far away from where he was from. And if you had asked me last year, you know, do you think... Every day when you go out of your house, you're going to need to wear a mask. I would say, well, no, never in a million years would I imagine that. I mean, why would I need to wear a mask? But we've seen that this worldwide pandemic, it's caused so many things to feel out of our control, hasn't it? I mean, things that we were so used to, just like our daily routines, uh, going to work, going to school, seeing people we hang out with all the time, that's been out of our control. Or maybe it even feels out of your control, like, well, what if I contract this virus? Or take a look at politics. We have Republicans, Democrats, election is coming up, but it's out of control on both sides. 
Or I think of several friends. I have three friends who in the past two months have lost their jobs, didn't see it coming out of the blue, and now the money they have coming in is super uncertain. Or maybe there's a friend in your life who is just shutting you out, and no matter if you call or try to reach out, you can't get a hold of them, and you don't know what's going on. Or it could have to do with your health, that you follow your doctor's instructions, what they say to do, but your body just is not cooperating. It's like it's out of control no matter what you do. And I'm reminded of a friend who one day, her husband and kids had gone out to work in school, and her multiple sclerosis hit her hard and hit her fast, and she fell And she landed on the floor of her house, and she was paralyzed, paralyzed the whole day. She couldn't reach the phone to call anybody. And she lay there just praying, say, God, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. So when these kind of things come our way, and they're things that that we say, I would have never seen this coming would have never seen this happening to me. And there's a verse that we can look at in the Bible that applies to this, and it's Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Everything to work for good. So when we're out of control, God is always in control. He is, whether it feels like it or not. And we're promised that. It's a promise that we can take to heart and believe with our whole hearts. But, you know, it doesn't just stay in our hearts or stay in our heads. It should be seen in our actions, What we believe should be easily recognized in how we respond to our situations. And Andrew said something uh, last weekend that I've been thinking about over and over, and I think it really sums up kind of the point of what we're getting to in this series. And he said, kingdom resilience is taking one more step with God, one more step with God. So kingdom resilience is not trying to fix things ourselves or trying to avoid the hard things that come our way. Kingdom resilience is following the path that God has us on and taking that next step with him, no matter how unsteady or uncertain it might feel. And we can do that because he is in control. He's got it. And that's what we see Joseph do. I really like how Alan Austin puts it. So he's a vineyard pastor up north in the state of Maine. And he says, Joseph allowed his actions to reflect what he believed about God. Joseph didn't fight his circumstances. He cooperated. I like that word, cooperated. And allowed his actions to reflect God. Our schools, homes, and workplaces become better places and people around us benefit when we stay on God's path and let him affect our behavior. 
And so Joseph's behavior showed that he trusted God's plan. And eventually we see that Potiphar ends up putting Joseph in charge of everything he owned. Joseph was the CEO. And we're told Joseph was in control of everything except for just one thing. And that was only literally putting the food in Potiphar's mouth. That's it. And why? Why would Potiphar give all this responsibility away to Joseph? Why would he do that? Well, the word tells us. The Bible says it was because Potiphar saw God in Joseph's life. He saw Joseph taking the next step with God. Because Joseph was diligent wherever God had him, even as a humble, humble slave in that hard place. He was still diligent, and his actions reflected that God was in control. And we see Potiphar and his whole household, everyone benefits because Joseph makes these choices. So my question for you today is, where do things feel out of control for you? Where are things out of control in your life? Maybe it feels like your money is going to be down to zero, down to zilch. And the truth is God is in control, and he promises to provide for you, no matter how bleak things may look. Or maybe things feel like all order is gone in our country, or even in our world, and that really bothers you, like that, that really hurts you. And the truth is, is that God is in control. He's the perfect ruler. Or maybe with your health, where it might feel hopeless or frustrating. Well, the truth is that God is your hope. He's your help. He is in control. And because he's the one in control, you really can take that next step with him. You can. And so as we pick back up in this story, not only is Joseph this great administrator and executive, but we learn that Joseph is just a flat-out good-looking guy. <laughs> We're going to see words like he's handsome, he's well-built, he's got the brain, he's got the brawn, he's like this perfect package. Um, and this just so happens to get the attention of Mrs. Potiphar. She's picked up on this. And parents, just so you know, this part of the story does get a little PG-13, if you just want a little heads up with that. Uh, but we're going to start in verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. 
And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. And I wonder if that wasn't by coincidence with Mrs. Potiphar's plans. And she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So we're seeing Joseph tempted, not just every little bit, but day after day. And I'll just summarize the rest of the story here. So Potiphar's wife is so angry that she keeps getting rejected by Joseph that she tells her husband, you know, Joseph, he has been aggressive towards me. He has been making advances towards me. She lies. She flat out lies. And what does she have for ammunition? She's holding Joseph's coat because he hightailed it out of there after she had grabbed him. He fled away. And I don't know what it is about Joseph and his coats and usually some sort of trouble or drama taking place. But here we go again. There's drama. And, you know, Potiphar's angry, understandably so, because of what his wife told him. And he sends Joseph to prison. Joseph's in prison. And so let's talk about this temptation here. That's our second point. When you face temptation. And I use the word when here because it is going to happen. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it is going to happen. We all face temptation every day single day every single day and may we never be fooled to think that we're above it that we've got it all under control may we never think that because the bible is really clear isn't it it says that satan is the prince of the air and that he roams the earth all the time trying to get us trying to deceive us, to trick us. And he's smart. He wants our souls. He does. And so temptation could be loud and clear in our face like it is here with Joseph with maybe sexual temptation or addictions that are kind of easy to see. Or it could be that Satan likes to use subtle attempts. I think he does this a lot. These subtle attempts of areas of our life that we're not so quick to notice. Maybe things that have kind of slowly crept in and become regular parts of our lives and we don't really notice them anymore. We might say, you know, I'm just prone to worry. I'm just a worrier. That's just who I am. Or we might say, you know, it's just natural for my first thought to be a judgmental one towards someone. It's just natural for me to go there. This is the enemy. This is the enemy. He wants to steal our relationship with God. He wants to put a wedge in it. He wants to steal our joy and our peace. That's what he's trying to do. 
And I think we need to look at the reality of the way that the enemy tempted Joseph and not belittle it here. You know, Joseph was not some superman who could easily resist this. He was a young man, he was in his prime, and he was daily being asked by a woman to sleep with her. And, you know, I would imagine that she was probably a beautiful woman. I mean, she was married to this top guy in Egypt. She's out of line, by the way, but, you know, Joseph is not immune here. This would have been difficult for him to resist. It would have been difficult. So how does he? I think we can look in verse 9. And this is Joseph speaking here. And he's talking to Potiphar's wife. He says, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How could I sin against God, he tells her. We see Joseph here remembering God, remembering his God, thinking of him when he was tempted. And it sticks out to me that Joseph's main concern wasn't messing up with Potiphar and kind of ruining all that he had had acquired all of his status and his responsibility. No, his main concern was whether or not he disobeyed God. That's what he was concerned about. He didn't forget God. He remembered God. And I know this might sound just a little too simple to us. Well, when I'm tempted, I just need to think of God. But I really like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer teaches about this. So Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor, he was a theologian, and he's written many books on discipleship. You might be familiar with them. But there's, there's one book he wrote that probably goes a little overlooked, and it's this small, like, little 50-page book, and it's just called Temptation. Temptation. And in this small book, he says that no matter the temptation, whether it's love of things, acquiring more things, or being powerful, getting even with someone, living in fear, acting out in anger, sexual temptations, whatever it may be, because boy, we know there are a lot of temptations, lots of varieties, but he says whatever it may be, what happens is when we're tempted, we start to focus on And become obsessed with the thing or the idea that's tempting us. Focus on it. And Bonhoeffer says this is what happens in that temptation process. He says, Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. Forgetfulness of God. I think it's good to just take a minute and let that kind of sink in and soak in what those words are saying, forgetfulness of God. Because Satan knows it wouldn't be tricky enough to tempt us to hate God because we would probably notice that. But to forget about God for just a little while, well, you know, we probably wouldn't be quite quick to catch on to that. 
And it's easy, almost natural for us to forget God over time in the middle of temptation. Because our eyes and our thoughts, we get focused on these shiny objects that are around us, or these ideas. And we start to believe the notion that they're going to satisfy us. They're going to fulfill us. And you might find yourself saying something like this, like kind of having a dialogue in your head. Well, you know, if I just say this one little snarky comeback, or I give that person a mouthful of what they deserve to hear, then I'll be able to make things right. And we forget that it's God who makes things right, that, that he is the one who brings justice. Or you might be tempted to lie because it feels like, well, that's the only way I'm going to be protected. Or if I tell the truth here, it's just going to hurt someone. It's just going to bring hurt. And we forget the truth that God is truth. And that no matter how hard it may be to speak it sometimes, that God tells us the truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. Or we might tell ourselves, well, you know, it's normal to have desires and look at inappropriate things online or engage inappropriately with someone I'm not married to. We might even say, well, I need to try things out before I really commit. Because if I don't, it just probably won't work out anyway. And we forget that God sets up boundaries for us when it comes to sex because he wants to protect us physically. He wants to protect our hearts because he loves us. He wants our best. And we can get so obsessed with these things that we forget our God. But we can learn from Joseph here, can't we? Because when he heard the voice of Potiphar's wife day after day after day, you know, he did remove himself from the situation. He did go away and stay away. But ultimately, what he was doing, ultimately, is he was thinking of his God, remembering him. And we can look to Jesus. He's our perfect, our greatest example And, you know, he was tempted, right, when he was in the wilderness, and he was physically weak, he was vulnerable because he'd been fasting, and Satan knew where to hit him hard. Here comes Satan swooping in, and what did Jesus do every time? He also made a choice. He chose. He chose to remember God the Father, and he even quoted God's words as a response to what Satan was speaking to him. And we can choose too. We can, because just remember Andrew's quote again, that kingdom resilience is taking one more step with God. One more step with God. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in the middle of temptation, it can be overwhelming. I just feel, it's like, Things are swirling around me. It's overwhelming. But I'm reminded that we really don't need to get overwhelmed. We don't have to feel overwhelmed that we have to take a bunch of right steps all at once. Or we need to make a lot of right choices all at once. 
No, we don't have to do that because we can remember God and just take that next one step of obedience when we're tempted. Just that next one right thing with God. And I notice that there's a lightness, there's a freedom when I do that. Just the next one right thing that God is saying. And so our chapter comes to a close. Joseph is unfairly sent to prison. And we're going to see over the next few weeks that even when things are hard, God is with Joseph. He's taking care of him. And so in wrapping things up, you know, this passage in Genesis is super clear. It's super clear why Joseph rose to the top in success with with Potiphar, how he knew what steps to take, how he resisted temptation. We see the reason over and over again in our scripture. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord was with him. Verse 21, the Lord was with him. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. I mean, over and over again, we're being told this. It's all because the Lord was with him. And God just wasn't with Joseph and with all the other people we read about in the Bible. The Lord's with you. The Lord is with you. That's our last point. The Lord is with you. The God of the universe, he walks with you. He walks with you. And this is our point that ties everything else together. So when things are out of control, the Lord is with you. When you face temptation, the Lord is with you. And I love what Jesus said. He spoke these words, and they are for us today, for for us as his followers. He said in John 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you. He will be in you. So we're a people who can say the spirit of the living God is with us, is with us. And he's showing us what to do when things are out of our control. He's he's showing us how to face temptation. We're not alone. We're not alone. He's with us. So as we think about these things and and head back into worship, the worship team is up here. I would just like to ask you to stand with us. We're going to sing a couple more worship songs, but one of the things I love about God is is that as we think about these things and as we enter into worship, many times... He'll he'll speak to us in worship, or we'll feel him in our bodies. We'll feel his nearness. Sometimes he gives us words or pictures. And if you receive anything like that while we're singing these next couple songs, I would just encourage you to go over to Andrew and share that if you feel it's for the people here to know. And there can be there'll be a time where you can can share that after these next couple songs.
But I also just encourage you to press into the Lord and just lift him up and worship him. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.